It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, there's a story in uh, one of the papers this morning. Um, the Guardian. Do you know the posh paper for people who never left the Students' Union? No, they know that one, yeah. <laughs> um, story about housework in The Guardian this morning, which says, and I kind of quote, uh, the older you are, the more alert you can keep yourself by doing housework. You keep yourself alert and fit, and you won't go gaga if you do housework. Lots of housework. I would rather go off my game then do any more housework. I hate housework. The missus knows I hate housework. So does she. There you go. But how do you feel about that? We'll chat about it during the morning. How do you feel about housework? Do you like it? Is there anybody out there who loves it? Just loves housework. I think Mags, I think Mags actually does. Mags on Twitter loves housework. She'd be up cleaning at half past five in the morning just because she can um, but some people are like that, some people are not. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll read you more from The Guardian later on about that. They're saying, um, you know, sticking busy at the housework, can you can you can keep your sanity. Or something along those lines. 850-715-996. Good morning. Beautiful Tuesday morning. Beautiful, beautiful, bright, sunny morning. It was cold. I could live with this cold, by the way. I could live with this frosty, crispy cold right through. Just keep the rain away from me. I want to go to Emma first this morning because I had heard about this in the very early days of the pandemic and it's something that can get really, really serious really, really quickly. Now, I, I don't think Jace, or Emma rather, that Jace was too serious but you were very, very worried about him and, and you're glad you got him into hospital in the end. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, yeah, um, I do think um, a mother's gut is you know a serious thing and you should always go with it sure um and as, as soon as i saw 
the rash come up on his knees, I had a bad feeling. I had a really bad feeling about it. Let's go back um, to the start. How old is he? So he's one since, since September. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So tell me what happened from the start. So my husband tested positive for COVID on Tuesday, the 9th of November. Um, and then on the Wednesday, I did an antigen test on Jace. Again, I had a feeling he was, he had a cough with ages. Um, kind of, they were putting it down to asthma, but the cough was after getting a bit worse. Yeah. Um, so I thought well, I better try to do an antigen test on him. So that came up positive. Um, and he was fine the, the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He had a temperature, but it wasn't anything unmanageable. Um, you know, he was eating, he was drinking, he was in good form, even with the temperature. Yeah. Nothing uh, calpol like, wouldn't sort out, yeah? Exactly. As soon as you gave him the calpol, the temperature was coming down after 15 minutes. Like, he was absolutely fine. And then on the Sunday, um, the rash came up on his knees. And at the start, it just looked like, it just looked like nettle rash. Um, and it wasn't really red or anything. Um, so I called South Dock straight away about it. Um but they weren't really concerned. Now, in fairness, I don't think a lot of medical professionals are educated that much on PIMS either. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did tell them that he had COVID and, you know, this was what was coming up. But it didn't look that bad at the start. Um, then I rang back because it started to spread to his groin. Mm-hmm. Like that, it looked like nettle rash. Um and again, they were like, no. And sorry, no. Emma, did it seem to be irritating him? At that stage, it wasn't. Right. At that stage, it didn't seem to be, he wasn't really um, at it at that stage. Um, but then, say, that night, he went to bed normal, um, eight o'clock. I gave him some Calpol going to bed. Um, and he woke at about quarter to 12 and the rash was really bad. It was really red. It was really irritated looking. Yeah. He was scratching it. Um, it did seem like it was bothering him. So again, I rang South Doc. I think that's, that was my third time ringing. Um, and I sent pictures. Mm-hmm. And again, they they kind of said it just looks like a normal kind of post-viral rash. Um, and then I think, yeah, I rang a fourth time and they gave me an antihistamine. Um but the antihistamine as well, I couldn't pick up until the morning. And mm-hmm. then I had to get someone to drop it to me because we were still isolating. Um, I do think as well, there should maybe be like a niche of South Dock, maybe just, you know, off to the side where they see maybe kids with COVID. They put on a bit of PPE and, and check the kids out, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. because it's very hard to, uh, to diagnose anything over the phone or even through pictures because the pictures didn't even really do it justice yeah. of how bad it was, do you know. Yeah. And um, he was getting increasingly uncomfortable, I think, was he? Yes, yeah, so all night he was either on my lap or on my husband's lap. Um, if you moved him, he was roaring like he was really bad. Um, the temperature started as well at 12 o'clock. He got one at 12 o'clock and he got another one um, two hours later. So I had to give him... Um, do you know, you can give Calpol and then you can give like Norfin in between. Yeah. I had to give the two and um, the temperature wasn't coming down. I I told that to South Dock as well. Um, and then so the morning came and someone dropped up the antihistamine and 
he took it and he threw up everywhere. And I said, no, nah, that's, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something really not right here. And at this stage, it was after going up onto his face and everything. It was mm-hmm. really bad in his ears. It was His ears were really, really red. Um, so I rang my own doctor. Now, my own doctor's office are brilliant. And they were on the ball and straight away, they gave me a letter for, for A&E. Um, when I got through at half nine, as soon as they opened. Um, so he, my husband then went went up with Jace to A&E um, on the Monday morning straight away. Mm-hmm. And how quickly did you get through? Did you get in? Oh, so, I, so they did um, a lot of tests. So because they were both COVID positive, they were kind of put into a room in A&E and... They did kind of loads of tests on Jace on the Monday. Um, and then they got into a ward that night. Um, and I, the first night they started him on an antibiotic and he had to get like an IV drip because he wasn't keeping anything down at that stage. He wasn't keeping down mm. um, drinks or He was a very sick drink. little boy at that stage, so. He was very sick. Um, but the diagnosis of PIMS didn't come in until the, the Tuesday because they had to wait for the, the bloods to come back. Yeah. Now, I know there's no specific blood test for, for PIMS. Um, what they do is they kind of work out the symptoms and they use the bloods to look at the levels of inflammation um, in the body. As maybe, well as maybe we making... should explain for listeners, Emma, PIMS stands for Pediatric Inflammatory Multisystem Syndrome, which... Yes. It has another name too, multi-systems inflammatory sim- syndrome, but this is the, the one that babies get. I Kids did, ones, yeah. yeah. I did talk, I think it could have been to Chris Luke, but it, it was certainly to someone at that level anyway, in the very early days of the pandemic, because there were a few severe cases of this in New York and New Jersey. Our kids actually died from this. So, so yeah. it, but it, it's rare, but how is he now? Um, yeah, it's rare, um, but it is happening. And I think people need, like, I don't want to scare parents. I'm not here to scare parents. I just want them to be educated and to know the signs of of PIMS yeah. and just to watch out for it after a COVID diagnosis, just, yeah. you know, to make sure. Because we got Jason really, really fast and none of his organs were um, compromised, do you know, which is amazing. He, and he responded so fast to medicine. By Wednesday, he was almost back to himself again. He still had the rash a little bit, um, but he had energy again. He was eating, he was drinking. Do you yeah. know, he was like back to himself. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's very similar as well to Kawasaki disease, which is what they, they kind of use that as a guideline to um, to treat PIMS. And Kawasaki's disease is, is actually quite common. Yeah, yeah, that, um, that, that's more an adult we thing, talking. isn't it? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's scary, though. It's very scary. It's really scary. And I think a lot of people think, I think people's um, kind of, with COVID, people kind of think, oh, you know, we'll get it um, and the kids will get it. But sure, the kids fly through it. They'll be, they'll be fine, you know, but that's not always 
the case. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like Russian roulette um, with everybody. You don't know how anybody is going to react to COVID. Do you know, I Do think you know? that's that's a brilliant way of putting it, Emma, because a couple of experts like Gabriel Scali, for example, who's been on this programme, and a woman called Deepthi Gurdasani, who unfortunately hasn't been, yet at least, um, they've all been saying with children, for the for the most of them, they fly through this. But you'll get the one yeah. in the in the hundred who won't. And and Jace nearly was that one in a hundred. Of course, yeah. And you yeah. can't tell which one it's going to be. No, you don't know. There's no way of telling and there's no like you know, Jace is very healthy child from the get go. you know he'd there's nothing that would say that he would have gotten this um this uh disease, which is really kind of um it's like your immune system kind of kicks into overdrive is, right. is what PIMS is. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. And we've read so much about how the immune system can go into overdrive w- with adults, but we forget that with children, it can, it can happen too. So how is he now? Is he okay? Oh, he's flying. He's really, really good. He's, he seems back to his normal self. Now he is, he's on, um, he'll be on medication now for, um, kind of he's on steroids now for a month and then he's on aspirin because um pims can cause uh clotting yes so he's on aspirin as a precautionary for six weeks and for the next six months he'll be kind of going up to cuh on and off just to make sure his heart is okay because the kawasaki's disease um it attacks the heart now they did loads of echoes on him and he's absolutely fine but they just want to err on the side of caution because this is all new to them yes and you know they don't know that much about it um about him so they have to be cautious do you know i I think what comes through from your message emma is is two things first of all every parent needs to be watchful of this and at the moment when let's call a spade a spade here it's flying through the children it's ripping through the children because they're not vaccinated and most of them won't even be sick and awful lot of them won't even know they have it but there's always the risk as there was with little Jason you were very watchful and very mindful and well done to you the things that jump out are first of all how slow the system is to respond but once you yeah. get inside those double doors the care oh, was the brilliant. hospital are amazing yeah. Oh, the hospital. We were on the, the Ladybird ward yes. and the nurses. Oh, my God. They were just amazing. The doctors as well, so helpful. And because you couldn't leave the room because we had COVID, <laughs> um, they were really good to kind of keep checking in. Do you know, do you want a coffee? Do you, do you need milk for him? Do you want yogurts? Like, yeah. just constantly kind of, and they were run off their feet. Um, but they they really made sure that we were okay and you know that we weren't forgotten about in a room <laughs> I know I know well look best of luck to you and to him I was there was there something happened in hospital as well something very something special happened. happened a moment oh he did yeah he took his first steps I'd say it was pure boredom <laughs> <laughs> Because he, he loves, he flies around like crawling. He's really, really fast. And mm. at home, he had no he had no interest in kind of walking. But um, in the hospital, I'd say he was sick at the four walls. I'm out of here, so, mom. Yeah, he I'm out of here. Yeah, I'm out. Please, I'll walk out myself if you won't bring me. Um, yeah, so Brilliant. he took his first steps. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. All he right. walking since he got home, though. <laughs> Emma, I'm delighted that, he, that he's doing well and uh, very, very... High praise for the staff, the doctors, the nurses. The system's slow to get you in there, but once you're in there, 
is brilliant. And to be watchful for that, particularly in small children, if you if they have a COVID diagnosis, watch out for a rash, watch out for a high temperature, because it can be this very nasty thing called PIMS, Pediatric Inflammatory Multisystem Syndrome. It means you'll have a very sick child. It can be sorted, but you'll have a very sick child for a while. 1850-715-996. There's a three-car collision on the way out of the Jack Lynch Tunnel heading towards Mahan. So be careful of that. Yeah, I'll tell you about the cleaning. I'll actually do that in a minute because I'm busy. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie They can call me. Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. The Weekend. On Cork's 96FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity goss. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen. Where you can test drive the full Volkswagen range. Including the all-electric ID3 and ID4. See newmarketvolkswagen.ie. On Cork's 96FM. Another couple of nights out at the Panto for you today. Uh, getting together with the Everyman and Cork's favourite traditional pantomime, Aladdin, which is back on the 8th of December. On the 9th of December, we're sending you a family, two families in fact, per day. Not just are we sending you to the Panto, but we're sending you out for dinner. More details on that as we go through the morning and another round of the 10k toy giveaway before quitting time today 185715996 I got a look at this thing that you got Antoinette from the school now we're not going to name the school just for now uh, suffice to say we've sent a question or we've asked for a statement from the education training board but what is it the school want to do good morning hi how are you good the school um, want to close what? for a day we want to close for a day to do online classes to iron out any creases just in case the wow. kids go into this go into lockdown. When did you get this message? That was one of the days last week. I can't remember what day it was. Um, now, fair enough. Give the school their due. They've given us enough notice mm. for that day to get that. You know what I mean? But like, it doesn't bother me because I'm at home anyway. Um, but for parents that have to get someone to, to watch their kids and stuff. They've given us loads of notice mm. to be able to organise that. But if it is a case that the schools are going on, on, on lockdown, which personally I can see it happening, um, they need to tell parents now mm. to give parents the opportunity to organise childcare and everything else. Like they can't do this. Like say on the Friday, we're locking you down on the Monday. Mm-hmm. They need to give parents a chance to organise childcare and stuff for their kids. As I said, it doesn't bother me. I'm at home. Sure. It does, you know, but they, they, this dry run day, they've given you a specific date and they've said the school is closing and everything will be online that day. Everybody's online that day. Now, I have three here. That'd right. be great fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I have to organise, obviously, three, well, not three different rooms, but 
you know, and keep them the, like the twins are in the same class, so they can sit kind of together. Yeah, and do their lessons, and then Katie can probably sit in the kitchen because she claims the kitchen when when this is all yeah. all goes on. You were but wondering like, though, Anthony, did, said, did anybody else get messages like this? Yeah, like is it just our school? Is it just a precautionary thing, just to make sure that if we do go into lockdown, that that because the the Zoom thing that they use are mess. Well, I can't remember which one it is. There's that many different ones. Mm. Um, that because the last time there was a lot of glitches that the kids couldn't hear the teachers, the teachers couldn't hear the kids. Mm-hmm. You know, and kids were being kicked out of classes, not deliberately, like, but whatever way it was working. Mm-hmm. So it could be just one of those things. Like, we'll do this just in case. Sounds like a dress rehearsal but, for something, though, doesn't it, Antoinette? That's going to happen. You know I mean, and that's what I'm saying. Like, if it is going to happen, the ETB need to let parents know now. Yeah. That, that they can organise childcare for their kids. Now, now, knowing you as I do, you, you will have asked the school, are they doing this off their own bat or have they been told to do it? Um, I, 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 did just, I didn't actually ask because I'm trying to keep my distance because I had COVID two weeks ago and I'm still trying to keep my distance from people. I see, I see. So I, see. I didn't want to go into the school. Um, like even like usually I bring Katie's bag into school for her. Yeah. But the twins now are bringing it in, so I'm not actually going into the school when she's coming out to be collected. I've masked, I'm masked up and everything else, just in case. Yeah. That yeah. is still in my system that I'm not spreading it. Yeah. yeah. To everybody else, like you've been through all the isolation um, thing and everything, though. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was locked in my bedroom <laughs> for ten days. <laughs> I know. But, yeah. You know, but you know what? Uh, it kept kept the rest of them safe. Thankfully, none of the rest of them got it. Good, good, good. Um, and if they were coming into the room like that, I was making the mask up. Yeah. And everything else uh, that we we kept, I kept them out of school because what's the point in me sending them to school that if one of them got it, then it goes to the whole school. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I just made the decision myself to go, no, nobody going anywhere. Yeah. You're all getting, if I'm locked down, you're all <laughs> locked down too. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, 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 no better woman. Antoinette, thanks for that. We have asked the ETB, Cork ETB, for a, for a well, statement or a response. hopefully they will come back and, and like kind of let us know if we are being locked down or like if the schools are being closed or whatever. Or, yeah, or um, if it's a dress rehearsal or just just a drill or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, no, but as I said, if it is the case that, that they are, parents need to know now. Indeed they like do. It, it's a couple of weeks to Christmas. Parents can't afford to take time off work. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Antoinette, thank you very much for that. Best to, best to all the clan. So that school message, Antoinette did send me a copy of it the other day. I won't tell you the date, because that would reveal the school, but there's plenty of notice, put it that way. It's a date in December where the school are going to shut down and do everything from home. It came in on Friday. There's plenty of notice. They're having an online learning day. And there is, uh, within the messages, contained a notice that you should message the ETB. So we have done that uh, to see what they say. 1850-715-996. There's a crash on the Dublin... To Mahan, the the Mahan. Oh, sorry, a crash on the tunnel at the tunnel from the side coming in from Dublin into Mahan. Okay, thanks for that. There's also a collision at Randuff near Granada. 
Hope everyone's all right. I'd say the roads could have been a mite slippy this morning, so be careful out there. 1850-715-996. Collis says, online school doesn't work. It's not for every child. Children are already behind. They can't go through another lockdown of the schools. What about those homes that are not set up for online learning? And that's a valid point. And a point that was made at the last time they closed the schools down. But you certainly get the impression, and as I say, we can't say anything more until the ETB come back to us or choose whether they're going to come back to us or not. You certainly get the impression that the ETB at least is preparing for something. Or better to be forewarned than forearmed kind of thing. So we'll see. We'll see what we get back. But if anybody has got messages like that from their school, is, is any other school sending out messages to parents to have, say, an online day just to prepare for what might happen? We hope it won't happen, but we do know, and let's call a spade a spade here, because our politicians aren't, aren't admitting it, and unfortunately Neffet aren't prepared to admit it, the, t- the schools are riddled with COVID-19. Riddled with it. And and everybody knows it. No one's talking about it. 1850-715-996. Write that, um, that story about the, the housework. It's it's in the Guardian, which which I always think is a posh paper for people who never left the students' union. It is what it is. But it says, household chores might seem a drag. But researchers have said tasks like dusting, scrubbing floors and washing the windows might help adults to stay healthy into old age. Did you not? This is in the medical journal BMJ Open. The research was done in Singapore. And they say, regular physical activity, we all know it improves physical and mental health. It mitigates the risks and effects of chronic diseases, etc., etc., etc. They recruited a whole team of adults from a town in Singapore and effectively found... After a load of research, they found that housework equals exercise equals good for you. And if your body is fit, your mind is fit. I'm not too sure of anybody I know for whom housework would be a chosen form of exercise. A few of them there, I suppose. But I'm looking for some. Carol says, hey, PJ, I'm skitting at you here. I love housework, cleaning and organising. I find it very therapeutic. I need everything organised. One of my dreams is to be the Irish version of Marie Kondo. I love them detoxing shows. Oh, God, no. The one thing, and I said this before, the one thing I can't do is go to bed on a dirty kitchen. I always try to mop down, wipe down, wipe down the kitchen, have it because I am the first one in there just after 6 o'clock in the morning, and I like it to be clean. Now, at the weekend, the kitchen to be like Beirut, but that, that's okay. But in the week, during during the... During the week, I love, to, I love to clean it down. Do you know the habit, I'll tell you later on, the habit that people have that drives me mad, and I wonder how daft it is. But how do you feel about housework? Would it be a good way to exercise? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Cork's 96FM's 10K Toy Giveaway is here. I, I, I got a pocket full of cash money. 
we're giving away loads of 500 euro toy shopping sprees for free. For free. Take you on a shopping spree. Listen to Casey and Ross in the morning and all day long. Then text or WhatsApp in for your chance to win. On 083 3 96 96 96. Feels good. Corks 96 FM's 10K toy giveaway. With Douglas Village Shopping Centre. For toys, food, fashion, and lifestyle. 50 years at the heart of the village. Only on Corks 96 FM. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Corks 96 FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Week two of the 10K toy giveaway. You could be backing yourself a toy shopping spree worth 500 euro, and you could be celebrating just like this. Thank you so much, Lorraine. That's the best news ever that has made my day now, made my week. We've got more smart speakers to give away on the takeover, and for all that's going on in Cork, I've got you sorted. Join me weekdays from four. The big drive home with the Harvey Norman Black Friday sale. Offering the best deals on laptops, TVs, SIM-free phones, kitchen appliances and so much more. On Cork's 96FM. Big delays at the tunnel due to that crash. Let's just hope that nobody is seriously hurt in it. 1850-715-996. Now, the Society of St. Vincent de Paul has said that it expects its calls for help this year will be at the highest level in its history and could reach 200,000 by the end of December. There are many, many contributing factors, not just the pandemic. Joined by Mary Frances Behan, who is the Regional Vice President of St. Vincent de Paul. Mary Frances, good to speak with you on the Opinion Line. Good morning to you. Good morning to PJ. Good morning. Uh, Coming not even into December, and already I believe the surge is underway of people begging for help. Yeah people imploring for help really because um, uh, people are experiencing the hardship that goes with increased costs of fuel and electricity and many people are trying first of all to keep the roof over their head by paying their rent or their mortgage so that they actually have a home to live in so everything else then is just so tight particularly if you're living on a low income Mm. you know, are, are in a poorly paid job um, all along you've been keeping the show going keep managing, but you know, we're meeting people, we're listening to people who are juggling bills at, at a, a frightening rate, they're under such pressure, they're experiencing such a burden they feel so isolated and desperate and of course the fear is by uh, members of St. Vincent de Paul is that with Christmas coming up wanting to have, uh, uh, you know, the festive thing happening in their home, that they will turn to high-rate lenders, you know, because at least it would help them to get over Christmas. So we appeal to people to pick up the phone to send Vincent to Paul rather than um, to those uh, particular people because January will arrive and Christmas will be over, the wrapping will be thrown away and... Uh, they will be coming with their bill, with their, you know, to pay back the loan. And on top of the loan, you have the you have your electricity bill. You're trying to get fuel into your house. Mm. Now, one of the things we we would notice as well is that many of the families we're dealing with are in rented accommodation with poor bear ratings. You know, poorly insulated flats yeah. and houses. So therefore, it it takes an awful lot more heat 
you know, and an awful lot more fuel to keep that place warm. You know, imagine the scenario on this lovely crisp morning, uh, a couple in their 60s and um, the gentleman is on oxygen. He's a, he needs an oxygen concentrator in his home. He has an electric bed, mattress. That's all using up electricity. And people who would normally have been managing like that couple are now turning to St. Vincent de Paul yeah. because their electricity bills are so high. I think that has skipped under the radar with a lot of people, Mary Frances, and one of the reasons I would suggest it is because November, to date anyway, until last weekend, was so mild. Like the most we were putting on our heating on was to heat us up with water. We weren't actually using the heating. Since the weekend, we're using it. But if you're you're in a a well-insulated home, you know, but at night it's still getting cold, you know, and if you have a sick person whose uh, mobility is affected or another family we've dealt with recently is a young couple doing fine um, they were expecting a baby had a baby and the baby has serious medical issues you know and again their home would uh, rented accommodation would have a very poor bear rating so they're under such strain to keep their baby cozy and warm you know yeah. and and healthy and then they have the added the added um, difficulty of having to make all these medical appointments. So yeah. transport costs have gone up. So they're burdened by that as well. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, it is, it is just heartbreaking. Are we and in the heat would... or eat territory, Mary Frances? Sorry, say that again? Are we in the heat or eat territory? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, people are so grateful for hampers. You know, they're not they're not saying that they want a voucher so that they can choose. They are taking, you know, we would have um, hamper projects in the region and people are so delighted to get hampers. You know, that is that that shows, you know, um, the other side of it, then, of course, is people listening to us um, that you can really help by supporting our annual appeal because the donors are the lifeline of St. Vincent de Paul who provides a lifeline to people who are in desperate situations, you know, heartbreakingly desperate situations. And, you know, you sometimes uh, go to homes where there might be um, violence difficulties and you find a a woman trying to get help with fuel and then you go to the home and there's windows broken and they're taped and so on you know, trying to keep the cold out, you know, so you have people in pretty grim situations, you know, and very often, you know, you look at a house, you think everything is grand, but when you go in on a visitation or when you chat on the phone to somebody, then you realise just what people are enduring, you know. And and these would be people, so many of them, Mary Frances, with a, a job and possibly two and maybe a, one of those is a very good job. People are just struggling. Yep. They are, absolutely. And maybe they would have been on the um, PUP, um, which would have been yes. less than what they would have normally. So therefore, if they were, if they had a mortgage, if they had a car loan, you know, all their savings were going into keeping their heads above water, you know. And... Um, so we, of course, encourage people to come to us because sometimes it can just give people breathing space. If they get food and if they get help with fuel, they can put other money aside then to pay yeah. bills. Yeah. A lot of people are in arrears as well with electricity bills. Now, while Electric Ireland has a hardship fund, 
um, which has been publicised recently. They're working with their partners, Austin, St. Vincent de Paul and MABS. And if you have been a member, if you have been with Electric Ireland for a year or more, you and are in a difficult situation, through St. Vincent de Paul or MABS, you can apply for mm. um, credit which is a, a very, it's a very, very good initiative on yeah. their part. Something I heard recently, Mary Frances, for people, and I know that a lot of people use these, you know, pay-as-you-go electricity. Yes, yes. I'm not quite sure about this, but is it that now there's, if you buy 20 quid's worth of credit, it's eating up half that in standing charges? I, I'm not very sure about that now myself. I have uh, heard that. If anybody, if anybody's experienced yeah. it, then you know they can tell us. Yeah. But well, I was talk. I was talking to a young woman the other day, um, mother of three in very difficult circumstances, um, who actually had so much rubbish to get rid of because she couldn't afford to pay the bin bill, you know, and was fearful of vermin. But she was saying, "I have to change who I'm with." Uh, she had one of these pays uh, as you go, and she said it was just eating up. Um, electricity, you know. And um, she has three young children to try to to keep warm. And again, coming back to Christmas, every family wants to join in the festivities of the season, you know, and to have their Christmas tree and the lights and decorations. And the children expect that. Every other child in school is, you know, preparing for Christmas. So you can imagine how hard it is for parents and families yeah. who are struggling so much. I, I know and that I Vincent de Paul... About, sorry for cutting across you. you yeah, yeah, finish your point. I, I just worry about, you know, people who are struggling to that level, yeah. you know, and uh, the, the psychological mental health burden that Absolutely. it is as well, you know. I know that you have got a number of warehouses, including one I'm very familiar with out in in North Point, and you have, or you've traditionally had a very good supply chain of non-perishables to those places. But Mm -hmm. how do people help otherwise? Well, we have a car draw, which is on its ninth year in Cork, and uh, is being run throughout the entire region, southwest region this year. And Fort Fiesta is being raffled, five euros for a ticket. And um, <clears throat> that money is going towards St. Vincent de Paul and has been a huge um, a source of income for St. Vincent de Paul. Um, we also have blue envelopes. Uh, they'll be in the papers and churches and they'll be going to every home. They've now become a familiar site, the SVP blue envelope. Yes. And you can put a donation in that. And uh, there's a free post envelope and you can specify that you want to support your particular community. You know, you can write on it, you know. And then we have virtual gifts as well. Uh, Many businesses and corporates like to, um, you know, they used to like to buy toys actually for a particular age group. You know, they'd say for a little boy of eight or whatever. Um, people are being encouraged now to buy uh, the virtual toy or virtual food. And what happens then is that the money goes towards a voucher. It can be used in a toy shop or um, sports shop to get brunners or whatever, okay. or in, um, in clothes mm-hmm. shops. Food okay. as well is sure. included in the- And your website is svdp.ie, isn't it? svp.ie. svp.ie. Yeah, 
and the regional office number in Tokyo Street is 021-427-0444. And if you're in any part of the region, you can contact the office and they will direct you towards your local conference if you need help. And they will direct you uh, as to how you can help um, if you want to donate. And remember, you know, we're members who are working on the ground, but the people who donate, who don't have the time, um, you know, to get, a lot of people who donate tell us that they'd love to be with us as volunteers, but they simply don't have time at this point yeah. in their life. But they are as much part of St. Vincent de Paul as the people on the ground. And they can, and they can, and they can make a donation in, and, and help in any other way that they can through the website or through any one of your schemes. Mary Frances, thank you so much for that. Mary Frances Behan, she's the regional vice president of St. Vincent de Paul. We no doubt will catch up with them again this side of Christmas. But the level of need out there, not just poverty, just need out there of people who can't pay bills or can't choose between heating and eating. They are there, and they are stocking up. And I have a pal who works in one of the warehouses, and it just texted me the other day to say they're so, so busy stocking up and getting ready for Christmas. It's going to be such a really, really big Christmas for St. Vincent de Paul. And any way that you can help, and any way that we can help, then we most certainly will do so. 1850-715-996. And speaking of doing things and helping with fundraising for Christmas. Don't forget your Christmas jumper. Organising your Christmas jumper day for Cork Simon. We do this every year. Thousands of us get together to help fight homelessness with Cork Simon. Send for a fundraising pack. Get on to corksimon.ie and help join Cork's 96 of them to help fight homelessness in Cork and do your Christmas jumper day in whatever way feels safe to you. 1850-715-996. Now, I suppose coming away from the fact that people can't afford to heat their homes or can't afford to eat, unfortunately, uh, we will still have a big spending spree for those who can afford it this Friday, which is Black Friday, and of course, followed by Cyber Monday. And I guess that Cyber Monday or Black Friday will be different than they've been before. And there are charges that weren't there this time last year and how do you avoid them charlie weston is personal finance editor with the irish independent charlie good morning good morning pj everyone's looking at black friday now what can i get what can i buy those few presents you can be caught out in a way you wouldn't have been last year exactly everything has changed this year because of largely because of brexit i suppose essentially pj uh, this is the first time since the internet was invented that Britain is now outside the European Union. So on top of that, then, the customs rules, the VAT rules changed in July in the summer. So a lot of people need to watch this now, you know, that um, if they're buying from Britain, uh, the rules has changed and it could cost you an awful lot of money in, in VAT and custom duties. Uh, and it could also be a delivery charge imposed by your courier or on post. So you know, that bargain that you might have thought, oh, God, that looks good, might turn out to be something very, very different. Uh, essentially now, it, up to the summer, 
there was no VAT uh, charged in, in, in goods coming from Britain if they were under €22 Euros in, in, in value. That has all changed now. VAT is payable on all goods entering the European Union. So, you know, anything coming from Britain will have VAT on it. Then if it's over €150, Euros, it will have customs duties. And it could even be, you know, if 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 Impost have to administer various customs charges and compliance costs, they'll charge you three fifty to deliver it for to you. Oh. Even if you're getting it as a present from your aunt in, mm. in, in Cambridge or your sister in Cambridge in my case, eh. you may have to pay if it hasn't been properly labelled and they have to raise a custom charge, they, they they'll they'll impose a three fifty charge on you. So people need to be very wary of that. And the other thing, PJ, is just because the website is a dot IE and it's priced in Euros. That doesn't mean it's Irish. It doesn't mean it's based in Ireland. It could be based anywhere. It could be what's called spoofing. It could be a Chinese website pretending to be Irish. Anybody can register a .ie, it seems, even if you're um, not based in Ireland. So people need to be very, very careful about that. Check the, um, you know, the, the, if, 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 the, the, that company is actually registered. Where it's yeah. reg- see where it's registered on the site. And there's no obligation service. on any site to tell you in advance that this item we're selling for twenty quid will cost you this in VAT and that in delivery and that in transport. Exactly. You know, if they're if they're based outside the EU, the rules don't apply. I mean, there's very good protections for online per, uh, people buying online. Would if if you're buying from an EU site, I mean, it's even that's protections are even better than buying in a physical shop. But those rules don't apply if that website is not based in the European Union. So if it's in Britain or anywhere in Asia, the rules don't apply, so you need to be incredibly safe. You, what you need to, the key thing you need to find on the site really is delivered duty paid. So in other words, they've got it together and they understand the VAT rules if it's outside the European Union. I mean, obviously, PJ, obviously the, the essential solution here is buy local, yeah. buy, buy, buy in Ireland or buy in a physical shop. But if you must go online and you want to do a Black Friday deal, you know, you can buy in Ireland as well and you can do click and collect as well. It's another option. Yeah. But a lot of people, about half the purchases are outside the country. So, you know, that's fine if it's in the EU. But if it's outside the EU, it's Britain, there could be charges and complications, compl- you know, customs compliance costs. Uh, and we, we might need to remind of. ourselves, even though we've been talking about it since God knows when, they are now outside the EU. And, and that's and that's the truth of it. Have you seen this survey from KBC, Charlie, where they say one in three people expect to spend less this Christmas? Yeah, you know, that, that, that they're essentially, there's uh, people are worried about rising inflation, energy costs in particular, PJ. So that means that they won't spend what, what what maybe they would have spent in other years. Up to up to the last few years, we've seen every year people spending a bit more on Christmas. I mean, with the splash out is Christmas. I mean, and some people will get in early and start trying to bag bargains ahead of ahead of Christmas and you know this this coming weekend or this week, Black Friday and Cyber Monday. But I think you know there's a real realization that it's going to be an expensive winter. A lot of things have got more expensive. Petrol and diesel have gone through the roof, uh, and you know the, the, your energy costs, your your electricity, your gas, your home heating oil, all of those have gone up incredibly in the last while. So people are kind of saying we need to be a bit careful. Now, it's not that Christmas is cancelled or anything; it's just that the people are going to be cautious, and that's what's very much coming out of a, a special question that was asked as part of that part yeah. of that KBC Bank Consumer Sentiment Survey. I'll go into more detail on that later on in the morning. But thank you very much, Charlie, for being with us. Charlie Weston, Personal Finance Editor with Irish Independent. Black Friday is a common, but be wary, especially if you're buying from the UK. Can we just talk? The 
Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Day two of our giveaway with the Everyman 2021 Panto Aladdin. Cork's favourite traditional pantomime is back. Oh no, it's not. Oh yes, it is. It's back. Opening on Wednesday, the 8th of December. Two weeks tomorrow. Running until the 16th of January. And we have a night out for a family on Thursday, the 9th of December. Send you to the Panto. Not only will we send you to the Panto, we'll give you dinner beforehand for the family. And with two prizes every day for a simple question to do with Aladdin. All right. Very simple question to do with Aladdin. And I will tell you more about that a little later this hour. 1850-715-996. On that housework survey, what they found, this was a, it's in all the papers, actually, not just the Guardian. The Guardian's where I found it, but it's, it's in all the papers. And they break it down in a lot of detail. What they found was people aged 21 to 64... And people aged 65 to 90, they divided them into different categories. And they found that older people had better memory and a sharper mind if they did more housework. That's the pretty much the summing up of that survey in one line. So the older you are, the more likely you are to have better memory and a sharper mind if you do more housework. I think I'd rather lose my memory. No, no, I wouldn't. No, seriously, that's an awful stupid thing to say, Pete. Don't be saying that. Um, no, if you do more housework, you will retain your memory and your mind will be sharper into old age. That's what they found in Singapore. 1850-715-996. Now, from retaining your memory into old age uh, to childcare and the provision thereof, and we all know it's one of the things that constantly annoys listeners on the programme it's not so much the, the availability of it but the cost of it uh, and, and just how hard it is to get good childcare and the childcare industry themselves constantly tell us how hard it is to get good staff so much has changed over the years and there is a very big online seminar called Reimagining Childcare Provision, taking place Thursday, November 25th, which is the day after tomorrow. And it examines how the current model of childcare provision is impacting on a number of things, including, and in particular, gender equality in the workplace. I'm joined by Frances Bourne, who is the Director of Policy and Advocacy at Early Childhood Ireland. Frances, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Now, I think the gender equality issue is, is what you're focusing on at the seminar, but how much of it is connected to the massive price of childcare in this country compared to elsewhere in the EU? It absolutely uh, is um, connected to the, the two issues because the cost has 
um, uh, an impact on the decisions that families, uh, couples in particular, make when um, baby number two in particular has come along and the, the facts show this, you know, the height of the Celtic tiger when there were lots of jo- lots of jobs for um, m- more jobs than people and women were being encouraged to um, stay in the labour market after the baby. You know, the CSO was able to show that huge numbers of, of mothers left the workforce after baby number two because of the cost of childcare. So the cost is totally factored into decision making and by and large that falls on women. Of course, there are stay at home dads and couples who decide that the 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 man will, you know, the father will, will stay at home while children are young. But in the round, it impacts on women. And, you know, in real terms, um, parents in Ireland are paying the highest amount across the EU in um, as a proportion of their take home pay uh, for childcare fees. You hear stories all the time in cities like Cork, Dublin, Waterford, Galway and so Limerick and so on, that people, particularly in Dublin, are paying the equivalent of a mortgage. Um, and that can goes up even higher on child number two. Yeah, like the cost of it is eye-watering. I'm, I'm very glad, I've said this a hundred times, I'm very glad that we're out of that era in our lives, which I just don't understand how people will will pay that much or will be forced to pay that much. Well, the reason, unfortunately, uh, that it happens in Ireland and doesn't happen in other countries is that despite um, recent increases uh, by the last government and, of course, in, in Budget 2022, a significant uh, increase was, was promised. Unfortunately, Ireland is still investing the lowest amount um, in early years um, across the OECD because historically we haven't invested in it. So, What that means is that parents and providers and staff, as you mentioned earlier, are left to pick up the pieces. So in Early Childhood Ireland, what we have been arguing for, um, and certainly the Budget 2022 announcements were very welcome, but they won't kick in until next September. Now, we've been saying to government, you've promised to double investment by 2028. Front load that. We've all seen uh, the importance um, to families of childcare during COVID, and it was important before COVID. Um, it is absolutely um, essential for young children. It also um, supports parents to make uh, decisions and choices. Um, around what they are going to do in two parent families and two income families about managing um, their families and their households and so on. In other countries, it is treated as an automatic right for children. Um, And here, in fairness, the vast majority of three year olds Hmm. would be receiving free preschool. But it's on a part time basis in terms of hours and it's for 38 weeks of the year in other countries where we're where they're investing better. We don't see that. We see provision. We see proper quality provision across the board, regardless of um, the income uh, or location of that family. And we see everybody paying something um, unless a family is absolutely destitute. But there's both a floor and a ceiling on how much people will pay. Mm -hmm. So even the most wealthy will be making a, a contribution that everyone deems is fair yeah. um, and the government is picking up most is covering most of the cost of, of providing so, uh, childcare. Effectively, every taxpayer unless, whether they have children or not are contributing to the cost of minding children. 
Absolutely. Um, and just like every taxpayer in Ireland is uh, contributing, whether they whether they have children or not, to primary and secondary education. And when Early Childhood Ireland, what we would be saying, and we're delighted to be speaking at the Work Equal um, event on Thursday, is that we need to start thinking about early years uh, in the same way um, and, and recognising that it is a public good. We have seen that it's an essential service. The government has treated it as such uh, for almost two years now because of COVID. And it's time for us as a society to look to other countries. Um, at the event on Thursday, there'll be a speaker from Iceland and a speaker from Scotland speaking about their quite different experiences, where in Iceland it's completely free. And in Scotland, they have a very ambitious programme about the workforce. And these are all um these are all important areas of concern that, to be fair, the current government is looking at. But mm. we need to see action and we need to see that transformation in all of our heads as taxpayers, um, as policymakers, that this period of children's lives is just as important. And some of us would argue more important in terms of brain development um, and so on um, uh, as primary and secondary school is. And we, we, we need to start accepting that and, yes, okay. paying for it um, and seeing it as a public good. And by the way, it's a really good economic good as well. We, we, we know from the tax system, we all pay a certain amount of tax that goes to education. Like you said, whether we have children in school or not, we we know that we're paying some taxes towards primary education. And, and groups like yours have been saying for years, well, we are educators too. Exactly. Um, and, you know, the, the, the one of the saddest things, um, really difficult, and, and again, you referred to it earlier, there are 31,000 educators in Ireland, many of whom are just as qualified um, as teachers who are on extremely low wages. And again, that goes back to the investment mm. um, piece of the puzzle. Um, and, you know, we, we need to see an end to that. I mean, there, there's there's been research has shown that even getting a master's degree, um, which an awful lot of educators do on their own time and pay for themselves, will only increase salaries by a euro an hour. Hour. So that's totally unacceptable. These are dedicated professionals. They're doing such an important job. You will hear parents uh, all the time sing their praises. They will talk about even parents of older children, the difference that early educators have made um, to, to their children. And so, yes, it's really important that we start to see it in the same way that we quite rightly value um, primary and secondary education. It's a very important piece of the puzzle. Okay, leave it there. Francis Francis Bourne, Director of Policy and Advocacy at Early Childhood Ireland. I think that seminar is free and it's online. If you look up Work Equal Work Equal, capital W and capital E, you'll get to the website and you'll be able to register for that seminar. Thank you, Francis. 1850-715-996. Our country, says Morris, is so divided between rich and poor when one listens to the St. Vincent de Paul every year around Christmas. The government should direct their attention at growing inequality rather than charity because charity isn't the answer and never will be. It just covers up massive social injustice. Yeah, I knew this was happening, but someone with genuine first-hand experience, the standing charge on prepay electricity is much higher than that of bill pay. So when you go and get a prepay voucher to put into the box on the wall and punch in the number to buy yourself, for argument's sake, 20 quid's worth of electricity, you don't get 20 quid's worth of juice. You get the change. 
after the standing charge. Some parents know sooner they're born than they give them away. We have to solve these problems ourselves. What's that on? Child care? Yes. No, some parents know sooner they're born than they give them away. We have to solve these problems ourselves. Okay. And on, this is a good, a fabulous gesture from fabulous people. The nice people at Garvey's Super Value in Cove. They're asking customers who are finding it difficult to make ends meet to drop them a message. And in the highest of discretion, there'll be a, something done for you. And dropped to your door. Good people at Garvey's. 1850-715-996. Right, I'll give the question for our Panto giveaway. I'm not too sure, Fiona, can you find out where I'm sending them to dinner today? Two families will be going to the Panto on us and going to dinner on us on the 9th of December. I need you to answer a question by text or WhatsApp to 0833969696. i give you a couple of opportunities between now and the end of the programme, to get the question. But it's this. How many wishes did the genie grant Aladdin? God, that's a hard one. How many wishes did the genie grant Aladdin? The answer and your name to 083 396 Two family passes and two nights out. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Who and what is trending online for Tuesday? We'll find out on today's show and I'd love you to win €500 Euro to spend on toys. All that plus your favourite tunes across the day. See you from 12 on Cork's 96FM. How many wishes did the genie grant Aladdin? Text the answer and your name to 083 396 96 96. Two family passes and two family dinners on the 9th of December with the Panto at the Everyman. We're doing that all this week on the show. 1850 715 Call us says, I don't know why PJ keeps saying the schools are riddled with COVID. Our kids are in three schools. Yes, there are a few who have COVID, but it's not riddled. Maybe not in your case, but there are classes being sent home because a couple of the kids have COVID, a teacher has COVID. It's, it's, it's rampant in the schools and you can play it down all you want, but it is rampant in the schools. It's, most people are asymptomatic. Most kids are completely asymptomatic, but because they're not tracing and they're not testing, they're not finding. So there's your problem. Close the nightclubs and sporting events that allow hundreds and thousands of people to mix before you close the schools. Our children have suffered enough between regressing school-wise and anxiety that comes with closures. Cynical to think that they'd never close schools if they were paying an entrance fee for a seat. 1850-715-996. There was talk in the uh, newspapers and on the television over the last few days about trials of a new drug. I'm reading from the Irish Times, but it is pretty much everywhere. Recent trials of a new weight loss drug that it's hoped will combat obesity have exceeded expectations. The research was published in the Lancet Medical Journal and it found that the drug resulted in weight loss of more than 10% in people living with obesity. It's called Cagrilintide. 
And Professor Carol LaRue, who's a consultant at St Vincent's Hospital, is co-author of the research. Professor LaRue, good morning and welcome to the programme. Thank you. I hope I've got that pronunciation right, Kangrelintide. Spot on, spot on. Now I believe, Professor, it mimics something from the pancreas to allow fat to be digested better, or am I totally wrong? No, so generally when you've eaten food, you feel more satisfied and you can stop, you know, your meal. The problem is um, in people living with obesity, that's the signal isn't strong enough. So when they eat food, they don't feel satisfied and they will have to eat a little bit more until they feel full. Now, all that this drug does is it just mimics this normal process. Um, and it works on the part of the brain that has the disease of obesity. So for the first time, what we're able to do is actually treat this as a disease. And that makes all the difference. So, and that's been talked about for quite some time, that when you are obese and, and you simply cannot control your weight, we, we accept this to be an illness and we're treating it now with, with a drug. And the That's results, right. and the results even, are spectacular, I believe. Well, and um, the reason is that for the first time, we actually are trying to work out where in the brain the problem lies. And the problem doesn't lie on the outside of the brain that you and I use for thinking. Um, and therefore, none of us can think ourselves less hungry or think ourselves more full. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. But it sits in the middle part of the brain that we can't control by thinking. But now what we can do is use the natural signals, how the gut talks to the brain and enhance that so that people naturally feel more satisfied. And it's amazing when patients have these drugs because they come back and they say, you know, this is amazing because I'm just not feeling hungry. I'm feeling satisfied. I'm enjoying the food I'm eating. I'm eating less, um, but I'm just getting on with the rest of my life. This is what normal must feel like. I'm thinking as a, of a parallel here, Professor, where if someone suffers from severe depression or anxiety, yeah. you, you give them a drug and that whatever chemical difficulty there is which is causing them to feel that way is altered by the drug. So if someone cannot stop eating because they don't feel full, that too is a chemical problem. So you're fixing the chemical problem. 
That's exactly right. And, you know, another good example is high blood pressure because high blood pressure is often caused by a problem in the kidney. And when we give a really good drug that changes the chemicals in the kidney, the blood pressure comes under control. And it's easy for people to do that. You know, they don't have to try very hard or be very motivated to get their blood pressure under control. And the chemicals in the kidneys do the job. And in the same way now that we know that obesity is a disease of this middle part of the brain, we now have the treatments that can address this. The problem is that obesity is probably not one disease. So one drug is not going to solve all of the problems. Mm. Um, so it's going to work for a significant number of people and have a great effect. But there'll be other people who are just as motivated or just as intelligent where it won't work. Yeah. Um, and then we need more than one treatment. So we need good nutritional therapies, you yeah. know, exercise therapies, medication, and also surgical therapies. Yeah, yeah. Like some people eat too much when they get depressed. So you've got the two rolled into one there. And then as a result of trauma, we have this comfort eating thing where people who've had trauma in their lives, they, they comfort eat. Is that the same? Is, is that the same field or is it different? So what we see when people have depression, um, some people do comfort eat and other people don't. Um, and what we're now working out is that if you have two diseases, for example, you have clinical depression and you have obesity, then you are far more likely to go off and comfort eat. Now, if we treat the disease of obesity, we do not make depression any better. And if we treat depression, we don't make obesity any better. So it means that we have to treat both. Uh, we need to treat both depression and obesity at the same time. Now, again, another parallel is we do that to prevent heart attacks. So sometimes people have high blood pressure and they have high cholesterol. And what we do is we treat both of those things. And by doing it properly, we are making people live longer and also make them live better. Now, I understand that at the moment, at least if I'm reading it correctly, cagrillantide uh, is an injection. Who is it aimed at? Is it aimed at the person who has severe to morbid obesity or could we see a point where people who just want to shift a few stone for their general health or well-being, will they be able to get it? Yeah. So we are aiming these treatments not at weight loss, but at health gain. So those people who are at highest risk of having the complications of obesity, for example, people who have type 2 diabetes or people who have um, subfertility, they can't fall pregnant because of their weight, or people who um, are at very high risk of cancer because of their obesity. So those type of um, uh, problems, we can hopefully prevent or at least reduce the risk dramatically. So these drugs are not going to make you thin and these drugs are not going to make you happy. But what they will do is they will make you healthier and more functional. And it's really the functionality. It's sort of people come to us and they say, you know, I can't play with my children or my grandchildren or I can't go out with my friends. And if we can improve that, it really improves their quality of life. So it would be for, for, for people who would be classed probably as severe to morbidly obese. 
it doesn't really matter how big you are because right. some people you know who are not very big um, may have um, high risk of developing type 2 diabetes yes yes so um, it's, so it's about percentage weight loss so if we can get to what's called double digit weight loss so more than 10 percent weight loss then we can reduce the risk of diabetes by 90 percent or even oh. people who have diabetes we can turn the clock back and put their diabetes into remission so that's the that's the most sensitive of all the complications but the same is true for sleep apnea people who snore at night yes. who stop breathing or people who have heart attacks or at risk of heart attacks or people who have subfertility um you know so there's lots of complications there's more than 210 complications right. of obesity so, and, so, and my job is to actually make those less so what i'm thinking here is professor Lulu, that someone who would be told that you have a heart condition or you have a possibility of diabetes or you have this, you need to lose weight and you need to lose weight for medical reasons that they may well be eligible for this drug. Correct. Absolutely. And, um, but, you know, all the new drugs are very expensive. Yeah. Um, and the, the government, you know, uh, can't afford, you know, to, to treat everybody. Like is this, this, is more is this one expensive people at the moment? Yes, this will be expensive, and the, the price is not out yet. Um, but so, what we where we will start are with those people who would benefit most. Um, but of course, drugs become cheaper as time goes on because they come off patent, um, and very soon we will be able to treat more people. But it is it's sort of on a needs basis. So let's start with those patients that would benefit most, and let's try to um, also convince the government that it's cost effective for them to treat these patients. Um, and therefore not only make, as I said, make them live longer, but also make them live better mm. and reduce their overall cost to the economy in the long term. Yeah. Professor, people often ask the question, what is the threshold for obesity? As in, at what point is the average person deemed obese? Like, people are coming all sorts of, of shapes and sizes. Is mm. BMI still the calculation or, or have we gone past that now? Yeah, we've tried to move on from BMI. And the reason is because all that body mass index um, does is it tells you how much you weigh for how tall you are. So it doesn't say to you, so if somebody is, you know, six foot and they weigh, you know, 15 or 16 stone, um, that doesn't tell you if it's muscle or if it's fat. And it doesn't even tell you where the fat sits, if it sits under the skin or around the organs inside. Now, the worst place for fat to sit is around the organs. So if you have a beard, a belly, um, or a bit of a tummy, that's far more hazardous than if you carry a lot of weight around your hips. But... Um, that's why we want to walk, you know, move away from body mass index. Um, But so the way we are defining obesity now is saying that it's excess adipose tissue, so too much fat that causes a deterioration in health. So if the, the too much fat makes you sick, then you have the disease of obesity. Now that, what makes you sick may be diabetes, it may be psychological problems, it may be knee trouble. So that's why it's important to go to your doctor and to say to your doctor, please help me, you know, do I have the disease of obesity? And can you help me with either nutritional therapy or a pharmacotherapy or a surgical therapy? This comes back actually to a person who was on the program with me yesterday uh, talking about it. 
obesity are talking more or less about people's different sizes. Like, you, you, yeah. you can be overweight and still quite healthy. You can be large and still very healthy. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't forget that. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, so it's not about how much you weigh. It's about do you have too much fat and does that fat make you sick? That's what we have to focus on. And of course, if we treat the disease of obesity, then what happens? Um, people naturally lose the amount of fat. Now, in the old days, we genuinely thought that overeating caused obesity. But now the new science has shown we were completely wrong. It's actually the disease of obesity that causes people to overeat. And if we treat this disease, then people naturally eat less. So the reason why people often don't come for treatment is they think that they have to go on a terrible diet that they're not going to like, you know, and it's going to be very hard. And, you know, they've tried it so many times and it hasn't worked. But now we have better treatments. And if we are successful, then people come back and say, this is so easy. You know, I'm just eating less food because I'm less hungry. I'm enjoying my food. And, you know, life is better. A pleasure speaking with you on the opinion line. That's Professor Carol LaRue, who is a consultant in St. Vincent Hospital in Dublin, a specialist in obesity. The new drug, I'll try the name again. It's a tough one, Cagrillantide. Cagrillantide. Spectacular results, and uh, that's a game changer. But what takes me more about what he's saying is that we now recognise fully that obesity is actually an illness, not a decision, not a choice, not you're being lazy and you eat too much. Obesity is an illness. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. Indie 22 has announced its first headliners and first acts to play the long-running festival next summer, including Bastille, Fatboy Slim and Rudimental Live. It all goes down on the Bank holiday weekend in Mitchellstown with tickets on sale now. Access all areas. Rising Irish Five Piece Just Mustard have just shared the first listen of their new anticipated album. It's set for release in 2022 and they return to Cork for a show at Cypress Avenue on Thursday, January 20th. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide tonight Life on, on Quark's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Quark's 96FM. Yeah, just sorted that one out today now. We're going to send you to Aladdin. Two families will go to Aladdin on us on Thursday, December 9th. And those two families will also have dinner in... Gallagher's on the 9th of December. Dinner in Gallagher's, followed by Panto at the Everyman Aladdin, the 2021 Everyman Panto, Cork's favourite traditional family pantomime. So answer the question and give me your name. 083 396 96 96. 083 396 96 96. How many wishes did the genie give Aladdin? 
I know it's tough, it's PhD level stuff. A listener says, I was in a shop in Cork City yesterday. There were two teenagers. One boy had no mask, sneezing and smiling as he sneezed all over the place. I shouted at him to put a mask on. They just went down the escalator and carried on sneezing without putting his arm or anything else over his face. It was awful. 1850-715-996. There is also a video going around social media of this idiot who went into a butler's chocolate shop in Dublin and just he abused in the most horrible way the staff behind the counter. He did issue some kind of half-arsed, half-baked apology on his social media, but it wasn't really an apology at all. But his behaviour uh, has gone viral uh, on social and that's what you're dealing with and I really feel for people in retail all aspects of retail with these idiots uh, going around 1850 715 the story that emerged last week from the matter in Dublin was very, was, I think it was the matter it was very distressing where a transplant had to be cancelled because there was no ICU bed available to obviously have the transplant recipient spend 24 or 48, I'm not sure how long they spend in ICU, but after a transplant, you, you spend time in ICU. There wasn't an ICU bed available. So the transplant had to be cancelled, which that's probably one of the worst stories we've heard since the, this certainly the start of this wave of the pandemic. Robert McCutcheon is chair of the Irish Heart and Lung Transplant Association. Morning, Robert. Uh, good morning to you, PJ. Certainly a very distressing story. And, and I think that, uh, do I have a handle on why it happened? There just was no ICU bed for the recipient. That is precisely the case, yes. Um, obviously, um, as your listeners may understand, that subsequent to a transplant operation, the patient concern would be transferred immediately to a intensive care bed. And so we're, we're operating, it, it, the hospital would be operating in a real-time environment. So that, as you would appreciate, there are many factors taken into account in, in a planning a transplant operation. But ultimately, it is fundamental that the availability of, of a intensive care bed is necessary. And fortunately, it is a very, very rare occurrence. In my memory, I, I'm not aware of such an event happening. In, 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 in the most recent past. And in a hospital where transplant surgery happens a lot, would there be a certain number of ICU beds held for transplant patients? Or is it just a case of you go with whatever's, whatever's available? Well, well, first of all, as, as you mentioned in your introduction, and just to reaffirm, the matter in, in Dublin is the National Centre for Heart and Lung Transplant and transplantation. So there are no, if you like, um, set aside or uh, beds. Uh, one has to plan right. any transplant centre yeah. in, in, in Ireland, any of the hospitals. That's kind of where plan. I was going with the question, Robert. There, there is no such thing as a dedicated transplant no. ICU, no? No, 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 certainly not, nor indeed uh, dedicated beds within the Matters Intensive Care Unit. Mm. One has to operate within the overall confines of the beds that are available. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, in times gone by, certainly in pre-COVID times, when, when there were periods of high activity, of transplant activity, 
the matter could at any one time have three or four or five patients, transplant patients, at various stages of recovery. Um, with a number in intensive care and others in, in the hospital step-down facilities. And because it's not a dedicated ICU facility, that brings not just the problem I suspect of the need or the availability of beds in, in a tight time like this, but obviously when our, there's so much COVID in the ICU, I mean, a person's immune system is never as low as it is when they've just had an organ transplant. So that brings another level of risk, doesn't it? Yeah, certainly, yes, certainly. And I think too, just maybe again for your listeners to understand, again, perhaps PJ in a pre-COVID environment, I mean, intensive care units by nature are very busy. Um, they, they have to deal with all types of unplanned admissions, particularly for the acute hospitals from their emergency departments. Um, and so you would have a, a direct admissions uh, going to theatre and then onwards to intensive care, but also to routinely uh, when there are uh, complex surgical cases taking part in level four acute hospitals, uh, whether that's resulting from complex cancer, lung or heart disease uh, cases, there's always a necessity uh, for patients being in intensive care. So we have now a situation whereby we now have, as as was reported, uh, 50% of the beds in the Matter Hospital occupied by positive COVID-19 patients with a certain percentage of those uh, unvaccinated. So one can understand clearly the pressures, the additional pressures that have been put on the availability of intensive care beds. This is also a very stressful time, I suspect, Robert, for those who are waiting on a a transplant. Uh, You know, you get, I mean, what that poor person last week, I can't imagine being in the position that they were in or their family to get that call, that bleep, that message that says your life-saving organ is there and then to discover that you can't have it because there's no bed people must be living in dreadful stress at the moment. Well, obviously, yes. Uh, Clearly, uh, one wouldn't have anticipated that transplant patient had already gone through a rigorous assessment process um, and transplants and matching and uh, organ availability uh, for an individual can depend on many factors, many variables, weight, blood type, uh, uh, height, um, and so when you get to that stage, it had to be a crushing blow uh, that the operation did not proceed simply because of the unavailability of uh, a intensive care bed on that day. On a positive note, PJ, just to, to, I, I do know that um, <coughs> transplants have taken place in the Matter Hospital sure. since that particular uh, f- Friday in earlier this month. Sure. And so it is a very rare occurrence. But the fact that it happened was extremely stressful, yeah. obviously for the transplant recipient, pendant transplant recipient and their family, but also for the donor family, clearly, yes, who made the decision uh, for the gift of life at a time of great personal grief and tragedy for that particular family. And, and they, and also too, I suppose we have to recognise um, uh, 
it was a terribly difficult decision too Indeed. for the transplant team involved in the matter to make this decision because, simply because of the unavailability of an intensive care bed. And, and it had been reported that the hospital had made inquiries of bed availability across the broader Dublin area. Mm. And, and it's the, the factor there would have been to see whether a patient from the matter uh, could have been transferred to yeah. another intensive care bed in another hospital in Dublin to you, facilitate. The lastly and, and briefly, Robert, you and your colleagues yes. must be very concerned that this could happen again. Yes, uh, one. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's another variant there that one wouldn't expect to happen in such in such circumstances. And I suppose what it does then is is the case perhaps. PJ has highlighted for people, you know, the impact of COVID-19 on people with underlying vulnerabilities um, and the fact that the shortage of intensive care beds because of the high number of COVID-19 cases and the impact then on the number of intensive care beds availability has personal and and real circumstances for people. Okay. Uh, who are doing their best in these very challenging times. I sincerely hope that uh, what happened before does not happen again and that there's some easing in the pressure on the system very, very soon. Robert McCutcheon, who's chair of the Irish Heart and Lung Transplant Association, thank you. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. See MIG.ie. Focus what you mean, got my eyes on the prize, that's me. Manchester City are the champions. Number one, that's top of the league. The best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick. Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live With Now Stream live Premier League action With a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership Listen every Saturday Exclusively online at 96fm.ie Or download the Cork's 96fm app The lines are live And we're ready to talk Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Hang on, talk among yourselves. I've lost all my bits and pieces. 1850-715-996 just dropped a load of stuff just as I was coming back dropped a pile of stuff but I'll get it back we will be catching up again with Onakura and the campaign to do something for the residents of Onakura that's happening uh, this hour there's been another development another interesting chapter shall we say in that particular story uh, and I'll tell you more about that uh, during the hour. Also, we have another go at the 10K toy giveaway with Douglas Village Shopping Centre. That's coming, ooh, I'd say within half an hour. 
within half an hour another go at the 10k toy giveaway our panto competition continues with Aladdin at the Everyman yes I will give you the question again I know people are running to the research books but I will give you the question again I want to mention someone though and, and this might mean a whole lot to, to younger listeners but to, to GAA supporters and fans in particular and people who've been making the trek to Dublin for many years uh, to follow Cork football and hurling matches uh, a stop off at Ned Ray's pub would have been almost like going through passport control <laughs> there was an old superstition certainly in the crowd that I would have travelled to Dublin with over the years that if you didn't stop at Ned's there was no way that Cork were going to win the match it just wasn't going to happen if you didn't stop at Ned's even though Ned was an Emmerich man but he spent many years at UCC and played for UCC but it was a great pub there in Park Gain Street and he had a fantastic big screen inside to usually watch a game and he had chipper next door it was just one of the, the great pubs of Dublin and very sad to read over the weekend that uh, Ned Ray or over the nights right or the overnight that Ned, Ned Ray who was 77 years old he passed away uh, I hadn't seen him for many years the last time I was in the pub was maybe 10 years ago I had a quick pint one afternoon and we were reminiscing on a few old funny stories from years gone by but uh, the great Ned Ray has gone to tend at the bar in the sky and he will be missed by GAA fans up and down the country 1850-715-996 a new television show with a strange title and an interesting character called Tom Bourne the programme's called Bush Kids. Cleana O'Connor, tell me more. Hi, how are you? Very good, very good. Tell me about Bush Kids. I know, well, I never really thought about the title now until you mentioned it. Um, <laughs> You're part it of it, is of course. a wild... Pardon? You're part of it. Yes, my family participated. Well, some of my family, a portion of my family. Um, it's a wild camping show for kids. So the kids, um, they were up at hockey one day and someone uh, sent a little WhatsApp around saying, look, there's this TV show. Do you want to apply? And they saw it and they were like, oh, man, we have to do it. And I was like, oh, God, no, please, no. So I um, I actually thought the deadline had passed and they'd forgotten it, but I had gotten the deadline wrong. So literally the day before the deadline, they made a little video out in the garden and sent it in. And off they went, anyway, long story short, while camping up the country for a couple of nights. Where? We went across from Enniscrone, but um, it was a little island called Bantra. So I th- like they were telling me that Nick Faldo used to own the island years ago mm-hmm. and he'd hoped to develop a golf links on it. But um, I think it had subsequently been sold. So it was a private island and you could access it by foot when the tide was out. But when the tide is in, obviously, you know, You'd have, to, you'd have to sail over. So we had to cross over, you know, like raising the tide. That was kind of part of the challenge. And um, and then we camped on it for two nights. Mm. It was stunning now. But at, at, what point, one, was, at what point, Cleena, did you go, what on earth have I done? Oh, my God. Oh, I did that really early. Like, I was a bit like, okay, I'm not participating in this, guys. This is all you. You know, I'm not going to be in the video. I'm not... So they, like, I literally held the camera and they did it all themselves. I sent it from a different email, you know, off it went. 
and um and then they were skyping me you know they skyped us for um like a little interview and then they said oh we need to have another interview and then they skyped us again and then they told us we were going and like they, the producer said to me afterwards they were like oh my god your face like when we told you we were a bit worried that you weren't going to go and I was like oh my god what have I done like whatever about camping in the wild in France or Australia <laughs> I know I know you'd have the bugs in Australia but like in Ireland and it was it, the weekend we went it was around the June Bank holiday weekend it was absolutely stunning I was down in West Cork in Eagle Point and it was beautiful and I left and like much as Connemara is absolutely rugged and stunning, like it is, you know, the weather, we, they just don't get the weather we get. It's the no. wild Atlantic way and sometimes it's very wild. It was very wild. It Literally, we went north of Galway and just the rain and the fog descended and we, like, it, like it started out, they started, they came to the house and I was going, you know, like you'd be small bit of vanity you'd be like look I'll make myself look a bit respectable for the camera kind of thing and I swear to god as the week went on on the, on the show you'll see like we just rapidly just deteriorate <laughs> everything becomes wild so so, so <laughs> let's 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 cut down to brass tacks here when you did okay. the little Skype interview you thought yes. okay I'm going to keep the kids happy now we're playing for this but we're not going to get oh, yeah. it and then you said then they said you've got it and you goes oh my god that's what happened and all the kids ran off running around oh sorry my my hob is beeping i've soup on um the kids all all ran off and um delighted and i was left like a fool on the camera just going oh my god oh my god how, how, how am i going to handle this and um so they, they, they were thrilled though and, and then the production team came down and they brought flint and knives and backpacks and I was like, oh my God, you're giving like my seven-year-old like the, the craziest child a knife and, and a piece of flint and literally he walked around the house for a week flinting stuff and I was like, oh my God. But, he burned the house down. No, like, like, honest to God, he did. Like, he was like, this is the best thing ever, Mom. Look, look, Flint. And I was just like, myself and my husband were like hiding it up behind clocks and up on mantelpieces. So, so who went in the end? So I went and my three older, I had four kids, but you had to be over six, I think. And they only wanted three anyway. Much as my husband tried to pawn the fourth one off with us <laughs> for a few days. Um, so my son was, I, seven at the time I think yeah seven and the girls were nine and eleven at the time or maybe yeah nine and eleven so and then me obviously I won't bother giving you my age catch <laughs> your own dinner and cook it and yes yes and um, like even lighting the fires from scratch do you know what I mean now Tom was fantastic yeah tell me about Tom who's he where's he from do you know what I, up the country <laughs> I don't know exactly where he's from, but he, like, he's Irish. He was really nice. He was really, really good with the kids, really knowledgeable. Nothing was a bother. So, like, from that perspective, you know, you felt, like, really safe and you felt like you kind of knew what you were doing, you know? And he just had a really good manner about him as well. So, like, he kind of drew them out of themselves where they kind of felt they could participate and they were able to, you know, get on with whatever they needed to be doing and come up. He invited ideas from them, do you know, with regards to 
what we're going to do. And then he educated us as well. Like, you know, we, we'd be walking through a field and he'd show us what you can eat and what you can't eat and, mm. you know, different different things, nature and foraging. And um, and plus he knew, he knew the terrain and the locality. So, um, mm. like, he was great in that sense. And then when we eventually gave up trying to light the fire, because we couldn't, like, he lit it, basically, <laughs> the first couple of times. And then we kind of got the hang of it after a day or two. So how long did you spend there? We didn't spend that long. No, we spent three days. So like we were up early on the Monday. We went the Sunday night, but we were out on location early on Monday morning. And then we walked for about four hours and then we slept Monday night and in one location on the island. And then we moved to another location on the island for the second night. And then we had another full day the next day. And so it was like three days and two nights. Mm-hmm. So, but like we were eating alive, like the midges and, and, and like I've seen the show already. Like it doesn't look as cold and as wet as it was on the show. Do you know, it was just. <laughs> Something tells me that Mammy wouldn't willingly go camping. No, do you know, we, we do, but, um, and it was. But not stunning. there. Well, no, I like, no, I, I wouldn't choose to. I, I would there if you could put a roof on it and turn it up about 10 degrees. <laughs> yeah. But like. We were so lucky, like we went out uh, one evening and like the kids were, they'd caught some fish and they were doing a bit of filming where they were cutting the fish and cooking it. Because like I was only a prop, I was only there in the background, like it's a kid's show, like it's about the kids. So I got to go for a bit of a walk around, you know, the top of the island and just, it reminded me of the Guinness ad. Do you know the Guinness ad with the the waves and the birds (laughs) and it was just stunning. Yeah, the Guinness ad, (laughs) did Mammy pack wine? I could have done. Yeah, I was going to say I could have done. I, could have done. I don't even drink Guinness, but I would have gladly. I would have. I yeah, when, when, when do we get to see this? Um, well, the series has started. So four different families did it and each family went to a different terrain. So one family went to the meadow, one went to the forest, one went to the bog. Thank God we didn't go to the bog. And one went to the islands, which which we did. And so at the moment, the forest one is on, the first family, on RT2, Monday to Thursday at 2.50 for 15 minutes and it's on the player. And then we're on next week. And then I, I, the other two families are on the two following weeks, but I don't know in which order. Okay. Well, you're on the 29th to the 2nd of December. Yeah, and, and it's um, like it's lovely kiddie viewing, do you know, like the, the kids enjoy it and they learn from it. And, and, it's, um, and, it, and it, yeah. it was fun. It was fun. It's it was fun. Like, yeah, it was great fun. I mean, great experience for them. Was it, was it like Bear Grylls light or, or did they give you proper food? No, do you know what? Like the one thing I've learned in my days is, you know, they say never work with children or animals. Like if you're doing any television, make sure you're working with children because it's so regulated. You can't starve children like you. You can starve adults. Like if you sign up for reality TV as an adult, like you're done. <laughs> but as a child, it's so regulated that like you're going to get like little snacks and you're going to get your um your bits and pieces. So, you know, we were you're giving away like, all the secrets now, Cleena, you know. <laughs> No, but we were like we were starving and hungry and tired, but like we weren't going to die or anything. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the the you know the bear grills one. There was one years ago where I think it was oh either, someone drank their weed. No, no, no. I no, no, God, no. I was even going to. You went there, not me. She went there, not me. Right? No, I was thinking more of the one. This kind of bear grills experience might have been him. Might have been somebody else. But about. About a hundred yards from the edge of where they were filming was a great big centro oh. with a deli. 
No, no, no. We genuinely were in the middle of nowhere on an island, like nothing. <laughs> uh, no, and we did eat the cockles and no, like... No, there was no deli. I wish there was a deli. <laughs> Listen, you're great, Craig Cleaner, and thanks very much uh, for being with us on The Opinion Line. They're on next week. The O'Connors from Cork out on the islands fending for themselves on the very wild Atlantic Way. Bush Kids, it's called. It's on RT2 and on The Player all next week. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996 On Cork's 96FM. Just an interesting one on antigen testing. Came in a while back and I, I forgot to, to read it. Uh, do you foresee a prerequisite of an antigen test done by you every morning before you're allowed into work? I'm hearing that some businesses are saying that. It's the same for access to any place or any event along with, like, the Vax cert. Well, we get around the problem of people, managers and owners of businesses, this stupid notion that you're not allowed to know who's vaccinated and who's not. And I'll say it again, it's a stupid notion that you're not allowed to know who's vaccinated and who's not. It would certainly get around that if everybody had to take an antigen test before they came into work either do it at work, at the door before you come in, or do it at home. We're not quite at that point yet, but you'd never know. You, you, you do what you can to stop this thing from spreading. 1850-715-996, we're only about 15 or 16 minutes away now from one row round of the 10k toy giveaway. It prom- promise it's coming before 12. There have been some that we've been following the Owen Akura story since the summertime when residents and their families of Onakura, the Onakura Centre in Middleton, were told it would close at the end of October. They were told it, were told it would close because it's no longer fit for purpose. That's the view of the HSE. And as you know, on the opinion line, we followed it consistently. I went down one evening, I spoke to some of the residents. They have no idea where they're going to be going. They're very distressed, very upset about it, and so are their families. Spoke to Nasa Harrigan, who is a Green Party TD. Um, she was trying to raise questions about it at the, at the, at the highest level. Her colleague locally, Councillor Liam Quaid, was the one who brought it to us in the first place and recently we're given to understand that a request was made to the HSE to allow an independent engineer to do a report on the building and that request has been turned down. Councillor Liam Quaid, good to speak with you again. We've been in touch with you regularly since this story broke during the summer. What is the situation with regard to an independent structural engineer? Because to the lay person, Liam, it's a little confusing. Yeah, so um, back in October 8, a family member of a resident of the Onacor Centre wrote to Michael Fitzgerald, the chief officer of the HSC, um, asking if they, they wrote on behalf of three families, including their own, asking if they could appoint an independent structural engineer to assess the feasibility of renovations on the Onacor Centre. Um, 
And the reason for this was that we had been told by the HSE's own maintenance department <clears throat> that it was um, basically impossible to carry out necessary works on the premises. Mm. Um, and that, that claim was made in two internal reports from 2021, uh, one of which was unda- unda- undated. Um, so it, it wasn't clear actually from these reports what new building survey, if any, yeah. had been carried out to arrive at this very drastic conclusion. To quote what the HSC said to us in two separate statements across summer and autumn, they said that they had discovered the problems with Onokura were worse than they feared and that it was beyond, effectively beyond saving. The the request was to have that independently assessed. Yeah, because prior to prior to um, those claims being made by the HSE's own maintenance department, there had been separate independent reports carried out um, in, in the previous years and these looked at... Um, works on improving fire fire safety and removing asbestos and some other works and these reports set out the works that needed to be done they they did they didn't claim that the works were impossible to carry out and um this i suppose left us with quite a bit of uncertainty um about the whole issue so during the Eroctus mental health committee meeting that we had on september 21st when hse management were questioned by um a group of tds and senators uh, Green Party TD NASA Horrigan questions Michael Fitzgerald, the chief, chief officer, about this, um, and he he couldn't answer her. What, you know what the building survey has has um, arrived at that conclusion. She also asked him several other questions about the premises that he couldn't answer, um, and he couldn't. He committed to following those up with her after the meeting. Um, NASA's assistant reminded um, the HSC of of the need to follow these up, and she received no answers to these questions. Mm. And for just for the purpose of reminding listeners, Deputy Harrigan is also an architect. That's right. So I suppose she was able to come come at this from a more informed perspective than the rest of us. Um, so considerable efforts had to be made to obtain further information, including quotations and drawings for renovations of Onakura, which kind of strangely had been excluded from previous building reports sent to us. Um, NASA was told many weeks after requesting these reports um, and reports on St. Stephen's Hospital because she wanted to compare her facilities. Um, she was told that finding the, all of these reports was too onerous a task, so she ended up having to refer those requests to the Public Accounts Committee. But I, I, I think something that has really struck many people is that the, um, the request for a structural engineer that was put in uh, on October 8th by a family member was not actually responded to until five weeks later. Um, and this, in my view, is part of a broader pattern of, of running down the clock on the closure process and wearing down the resolve of families who are trying to resist the closure. Yeah. Liam, what was the nature of the response received? The, the response essentially says that um, due to the particular um, service needs of, of the, the residents, that an independent structural engineer wouldn't be able to um, to properly assess um, what was needed to be carried out, and uh, like this is an absurd, um, an, an absurd statement, and and I think the the, the broader pattern that that is fits into is um, timing the, the closure announcements just before this all went into an eight-week summer break, so there was very limited opportunity for a very long period there to scrutinise the decision. Um, there's been a withholding of key information. Uh, that was requested by public reps about the closure rationale, and that's not just 
Vanessa Horrigan who experienced that, but um, Sinn Féin councillor Daniel Toomey. Um, and what Danielle followed up was was very pertinent because one of the answers we got back to a parliamentary question gave a, a reason for not pursuing renovations um, w- was that they, they would have great difficulty enlarging the size of single bedrooms. Um, but, but then... And making them en suite, I think, was also a problem. I, I, exactly, exactly, making them en suite. But we know that in, in several of the alternative facilities... Um, not only are, are single rooms quite rare, but they're, like for instance in St. Stephen's Hospital, there's a ward that has two uh, two rooms in, in which there are six residents in each room. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so that's, the, I suppose, that, that, that's, that's a huge change in terms of privacy and personal space. Yeah. And fair enough, if you can't, if you have difficulties um, improving the size of rooms in Onakura, but what are we comparing it to? Um, and if, if you're talking about facilities that will involve a much reduced quality of life in many ways, it, it really kind of debunks the whole argument. Yeah. Now, the original closure date uh, was the end of October. That has come and gone. I don't mm. think, correct me if I'm wrong here, nobody's been moved out yet. Everybody's still there. My understanding is, is that one resident has moved um as far as I'm aware, there are 18 residents still there. Right. Um, and I think what really needs to be emphasised is that that hasn't been any source of relief for families because that has only come about because management have, have been struggling to source placements because they're under such scrutiny now. Yeah. Um, and it, it, what it has actually done is it's plunged families into a much more distressing state of uncertainty. Yeah, because for any if, if any of us were to hear that we were about to lose our homes at some point, um, you know, and if we if we had a fixed point, say you're going to have to move out of your your long-standing home in in three or six months, mm. that would be devastating. But if if you're if you're told you're going to have to move out, and they've they've doubled down on the on the closure decision, but you're then left in this prolonged limbo as to when that might happen. And if you add in the fact that these are people who have struggled for much most of, of their lives with very severe mental health difficulties. Yeah. To put it very bluntly, you're not helping them. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think, you know, something that I've been trying to um, impress upon people in government and something that I've been, a message that I've been trying to put out in, in recent weeks is that the community here in East Cork, and this was expressed very strongly at our public protest some weeks ago, feel really abandoned uh, by government and feel that government haven't shown any moral authority um, in, in intervening here. There's been so many unanswered questions about disclosure. Um, families have and, and public reps have been misled throughout the summer um, with repeated briefings, and these were briefings that were given to yourselves as well, um, talking about extensive consultation that was happening with with families, and and we know that that wasn't happening. Okay. Liam, I'll leave it there for now, and I'll go to speak with Mary, and we'll talk again. Thank you. Thanks, PJ. Mary, you were one of the family members who wrote looking for this independent survey to be done, and you weren't happy at all with the response you got. Well, we got a, um, a response after five weeks of waiting in the first instance um, to say basically that the HSC management were not agreeable to appointing someone. 
um, they made um, comments like um, they had a specialist knowledge and um, no one else would, would be able to um, offer the same level of um, assessment. So I, I, I thought a lot about that, actually, and I, I find it almost brings a smile of, of despair to my face, actually, um, that if they had this level of skill, how, how do we find ourselves in this situation in the first instance with all this expertise and knowledge and insight and um, skill that we find that the, bu- the building is not fit for purpose? This isn't something that's just happened um, in the last year or two. This is a symptom um, of significant neglect over many years and um we find ourselves, um, the residents find themselves um, being made homeless because of this. So I, I, I think um, to say that they um, don't want anyone else to look at it now is is almost, you know, laughable, really. Um, I don't know what they're afraid of. Liam Quaid, who I've just spoken to, he himself, of course, is a psychologist, and, and, and he said one of the really important things dealing with people with mental health issues is certainty that you have to be able to give them some level of certainty now the closure date the original closure date has come and gone and it's fair to say i think mary nobody has a clue now what's happening that's correct and 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 we're living in this heightened state of anxiety actually it's worse now because we um we don't know um what's in the mind of the HSC? Are they just going to come along and disperse residents? We, we haven't had any recent communication from anybody apart from the letter just rejecting our request for um, uh, the structural engineer to be appointed. So we just don't know what is in their mind. Um, we do know that there is um, uh, a national housing crisis. So looking for accommodation in Middleton um, in, as an interim measure, you, you know, if they were to even try and um, rebuild or refurbish, even that is going to be a challenge. But we've had no conversation, anything at all, anything about um, how, to, how to go forward. So we're, we're really um, between a rock and a hard place with this. We just find ourselves really stressed and um, just not knowing where to turn. And we need, we actually need our politicians to come out publicly about this. They're working behind the scenes um, and I, I believe they are, they're doing their best. But there's something about all of this kind of secrecy and this way of doing things behind the scenes that really is undermining um, our confidence about um, the HSE and indeed, um, you know, the the, um, the 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 political system that we're we're just left in these kind of vacuums, and it's really, really, really difficult. You were with me uh, a while back, Mary, when I had the privilege of meeting a number of the residents down there uh, one evening, and I found a level of distress down there talking to these people that cannot have got any easier, and I'm sure it must be getting worse. I think it is, PJ, because um, we're almost afraid to mention it at this stage, you know, what is happening, because it it opens up another um, uh, level of anxiety for people. So 
so it's almost the elephant in the room, you know, when we do our visits or when we um, go out and about. And um, occasionally I'd say, look, you know, d- did you hear anything this week? And if there is, if there's no answer to that, um, we we don't even try to have a conversation because it is so unsettling. And in terms of your own relation, who is uh, a resident there? How are they feeling? Very, very, very unsettled, really unsettled about it. And um, some of the residents have moved already and that has been really upsetting for, for her. And these are people she's known for years and years and um, trying to maintain, you know, phone contact or even, you know, a contact even now we can't even um, imagine just how difficult that is. It's just really... Um, it, it, it's it's just from the from September from last September to now it's just been such such a horrible time um, for her and for um, her fellow residents. Mary, thank you as always for speaking with me today. Thank you. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. Cmig.ie. Premier League live back this Saturday at 96fm.ie with Trevor Welsh, powered by Talk Sport. Live coverage of Arsenal versus Newcastle at 12.30, Crystal Palace v Aston Villa at 3, and Brighton against Leeds United at half past 5. It's the Premier League Live Online with Now. Stream live Premier League action with Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with Now. And listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Are, are we good to go? We're good to go. We're good to go? Yeah. Cork's 96FM's 10K Toy Giveaway. With Douglas Village Shopping Centre for toys, food, fashion and lifestyle. 50 years at the heart of the village. I got a pocket full of cash money. Yep. All right. Give it away. 500 euro shopping sprees all week across the day. Loads of them. You look for your chance to text a WhatsApp and then answer the simple question. We put you into the daily draw. We've done well on the opinion line so far. We have had two of our daily qualifiers have gone forward to the draw. We're nearly due another one, one of these fine days. Let me see. Can we do something for Seamus? How are you, Seamus? How are you, sir? How's it going? I'm all right. I'm all right. Could you, could you spend 500 quid if I gave it to you? No bother. I have three children at home. I have a six-year-old and I have twins in there four. Oh, Lord, sir. It's been no bother. It'll hardly get you around the block, I'd say, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, make, we'll make a start. I have a question for you, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And the question is as follows. It's an A or B question, all right? Yeah. Okay, Seamus, A or B. In which city is the movie Miracle on 34th Street? Set is it A Dublin or B New York? B New York. It would be B New York. Of course, it would be B New York. All right. Now, what happens now, Seamus, is you go through to the draw this evening with Lorraine on the big drive home as one of our daily qualifiers. You go Excellent. into the draw, and now you'll she'll call you. You'll be she'll make contact with you, but yeah, you'll be listening this evening, and you I'll could be. Think- we give away two every day so you've won 
You've one in four or five chances of winning, all right? Perfect, Dad. Thanks very much. Take care of yourself. Cheers, Seamus. Thanks, Thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers. Our latest qualifier for the 10K toy giveaway. He's back with you there, feeling That's Seamus. Stay listening across the day for your chance to win with Douglas Village Shopping Centre. 50 years at the heart of the village. I must say, I was down in Douglas on... Was it Sunday? It was. Sunday. I was down in Douglas and the celebrations, the setup for their 50th anniversary is just fantastic. But what you... Give yourself time. If you remember the, the various transformations of the shopping centre over the years. Give yourself a bit of time because all down the inside of the shopping centre on one side there there are just loads and loads of photographs of various stages not just of the development of the shopping centre but of the development of Douglas and it's a wonderful, wonderful exhibition lovingly put together by managing down there. Looks absolutely brilliant. Lastly today I want to talk to Liam. Uh, now Liam is a, a Mayo man but he's on a nationwide tour as it were at the moment which will include a stop off at the Ballymaloo Craft Fair. Liam you're coming around the country and you're coming on the air to talk about your new book which is written about living for 20 years with bipolar or is it is it bipolar or bipolar disorder which is the correct thing to call it these days. Good morning. Yeah, uh, morning, PJ. Yeah, back in the eighties, they used to call it uh, manic depress manic depression, and then they decided to change it to bipolar disorder. Yeah, so I wrote that book. Well, no, it it took me two years to write it, but I always say to people that it was twenty years in the making. Yeah. So um, yeah, so I, I suppose the the main idea behind the book was just to to raise awareness about bipolar illness because it's. I think it's like as a society, we're probably coming to terms with what depression is. But if you say to somebody you're bipolar, they're kind of wondering what's that all about. But I suppose it really, it's just like an unusual shift in mood between being going from severe depression to an elated mood. Um, yeah, when does so it start to affect you and, and how? Yeah, so when I was 16, 17, you know, back then there was no mental health days or anything. So I did notice my mood was very low, um, but I was trying to just make logic of it. And I, I kind of felt to myself that maybe, you know, maybe it's because I'm a teenager, you know, teenagers are moody at the best of times. And I kind of always said to myself, ah, look at, you know, when I go to college, things, you know, my mood level out. Or when I go to, when I start working and it'll level out, but the reality was, worse year by year but you know there was a lot of stigma back then and you know 18 19 you just wanted to be like the rest of the lads the long time before i, I actually went to a, a medical profession to get help mm-hmm. and what kind of help was that i mean did you do talk therapy first or was the medication involved um so 10 years after i started feeling the symptoms so i was what, about 26 I went to a GP and I just told told her that it was very, very low. Mm. And she treated me for depression, with, you know, with antidepressants. But the, the danger with bipolar is if you give somebody that's bipolar an antidepressant, it actually doesn't work because it makes the mood go up and then you end up coming down a few months later. So for me, uh, for somebody with bipolar, it's mood-stabilizing medication. Right. But, yeah, look, it's took a long time to get to grips with it. I, I think the, the biggest problem I had was 
understanding the highs. So they're called the highs. So there's two types of bipolar. So bipolar one and bipolar two. And the differentiation in it is that with bipolar one, the highs kind of tip into psychosis. I was bipolar two. Um, them highs are called hypomanic. So it might, you know, I wasn't, my behavior wasn't off the charts, but still I wasn't acting normally either, you know, just yeah. kind of. And, and how quickly would it change, Liam? Like you'd be feeling very low and very down and like dragging the whole world around on your shoulders. And then the next minute, it's the opposite. How, how quickly would it change? For me now, it, it varies with people. Some people rapid cycle, so they might have three days really low and four days high. For me, I could have nine months depressed and then four months high. My last depressive episode was horrible now. I had 18 months of severe depression. Oh dear. But yeah, mine was almost like cyclical. Like it, it just seemed to, but there was no pattern to it. You know, I could never really, and it, you know, yeah, I always said that there was like, no particular time of the year or no particular set of circumstances. It would just happen. It would just happen. And, and, and I couldn't really get my head around it because, you know, like life, you know, like I, I always was kind of saying, Jesus, I, I have a girlfriend, I'm in a job, I have a few pounds. Why am I feeling like this? But yeah, it just ended up there was a chemical imbalance in my brain. Yeah. Now, you, of course, now live very uh, a very normal and a very happy life with it. And that's the that, I think, is the emphasis in the book, that the, there's a life after a diagnosis. Absolutely. And, you know, people always see mental illness from a negative point of view, but... Um, look, I wouldn't wish the last 20 years on anyone, but, it, you know, there's so many positives that uh, came out of it. I've changed my career. I was an accountant, and so now I'm working in, working in the living, uh, living well industry. So I'm, you know, talking to people who have long-term illness. So I'm enjoying the work. It's allowed me to write a book. It's, you know, it's a, I would be quite a shy person. It's allowed me to do media work. And it's changed my life around completely, but in a positive way. Yeah. Yes. So the book is, you're touring with it at the moment. Is it self-published? Um, yeah, I self-published. So basically what the book is, is it's divided, we'll say, into one third of the book. One third of the book is depressive stories. Then the other third is manic stories. So they're they're quite comical. It's just a lot of online dating, getting myself in trouble with guards, running up five or six hundred euro phone bills, spending a load of money that I didn't have. And then there's a bit of theory thrown in. But, yeah, it's, it's probably different in a way to a lot of mental health books because it is quite, the, I would say, the hypermania stories are quite entertaining. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be read in chronicolo- chronological order because I haven't writ- written it like that. Yeah. Um, so it moves very quickly. Good. And I know that you will be coming to the Ballymaloo Craft Fair, but can people buy the book online or can they buy it in regular bookshops? Where can they buy it? And the best place to buy it would be there's a website called www.buythebook.ie. So it's B-U-Y-T-H-E-B-O-O-K.ie. Okay. Um, and then I haven't got down to the bookstores in Cork yet. So, yeah, so I'll be down in Ballymaloo on Saturday and Sunday. So if anyone local wants to buy a book, they can pick one up there. But, um, yeah. And, and on the website as well. Okay. The way Good. that works is I post the book out myself, so you have it within a day. And it's called High Life, Low Life, Living with Bipolar Disorder. Liam Gilday, good luck with the book and good luck with your future. Thank you. 1850 Right, the panto, Rob Ward and the Ward family of Glenmire and Elaine Goggin and all the Goggins from Bellinhasig are heading off to see Aladdin at the Everyman on the 9th of December. But before that, they're going to Gallagher's for dinner. Of course, the answer was... 
The genie gave Aladdin three wishes. Sure could it be any easier for you. That's it. Thanks, Fiona. Thanks, Fergal. We'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. See MIG.ie.